Chapter Eleven of Peveril of the Peak by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Mona, long hid from those who roam the main. Collins. The Isle of Man in the middle of the seventeenth century was very different as a place of residence from what it is now men had not then discovered its merit as a place of occasional refuge from the storms of life and the society to be there met with was of a very uniform tenor there were no smart fellows whom fortune had tumbled from the seat of their barouches no plucked pigeons or winged rooks no disappointed speculators no ruined miners in short no one worth talking to the society of the island was limited to the natives themselves and a few merchants who lived by contraband trade the amusements were rare and monotonous and the mercurial young earl was soon heartily tired of his dominions the islanders also become too wise for happiness had lost relish for the harmless and somewhat childish sports in which their simple ancestors had indulged themselves may was no longer ushered in by the imaginary contest between the king of returning winter and advancing spring the listeners no longer sympathized with the lively music of the followers of the one or the discordant sounds with which the other asserted a more noisy claim to attention christmas too closed and the steeples no longer jangled forth a dissonant peal the wren to seek for which used to be the sport dedicated to the holy tide was left unpursued and unslain party spirit had come among these simple people and destroyed their good humour while it left them their ignorance even the races a sport generally interesting to people of all ranks were no longer performed because they were no longer interesting the gentlemen were divided by feuds hitherto unknown and each seemed to hold its scorn to be pleased with the same diversions that amused those of the opposite faction the hearts of both parties revolted from the recollection of former days when all was peace among them when the earl of derby now slaughtered used to bestow the prize and christian since so vindictively executed started horses to add to the amusement julian was seated in the deep recess which led to a latticed window of the old castle and with his arms crossed and an air of profound contemplation was surveying the long perspective of ocean which rolled its successive waves up to the foot of the rock on which the ancient pile is founded the earl was suffering under the infliction of ennui now looking into a volume of homer now whistling now swinging on his chair now traversing the room till at length his attention became swallowed up in admiration of the tranquillity of his companion king of men he said 
repeating the favourite epithet by which homer describes agamemnon i trust for the old greek's sake he had a merrier office than being king of man most philosophical julian will nothing rouse thee not even a bad pun on my own royal dignity i wish you would be a little more the king in man said julian starting from his reverie and then you would find more amusement in your dominions what dethrone that royal semiramis my mother said the young lord who has as much pleasure in playing queen as if she were a real sovereign i wonder you can give me such counsel your mother as you well know my dear derby would be delighted did you take any interest in the affairs of the island ay truly she would permit me to be king but she would choose to remain viceroy over me why she would only gain a subject the more by my converting my spare time which is so very valuable to me to the cares of royalty no no julian she thinks it power to direct all the affairs of these poor manxmen and thinking it power she finds it pleasure i shall not interfere unless she hold a high court of justice again i cannot afford to pay another fine to my brother king charles but i forget this is a sore point with you with the countess at least replied julian and i wonder you will speak of it why i bear no malice against the poor man's memory any more than yourself though i have not the same reasons for holding it in veneration replied the earl of derby and yet i have some respect for it too i remember their bringing him out to die it was the first holiday i ever had in my life and i heartily wish it had been on some other account i would rather hear you speak of anything else my lord said julian why there it goes answered the earl whenever i talk of anything that puts you on your mettle and warms your blood that runs as cold as a merman's to use a simile of this happy island hey pass you press me to change the subject well what shall we talk of oh julian if you had not gone down to earth yourself among the castles and caverns of derbyshire we should have had plenty of delicious topics the playhouses julian both the king's house and the duke's louis's establishment is a jest to them and the ring in the park which beats the corso at naples and the beauties who beat the whole world i am very willing to hear you speak on the subject my lord answered julian the less i have seen of london world myself the more i am likely to be amused by your account of it ay my friend but where to begin with the wit of buckingham and sedley and etheridge or with the grace of harry jermyn the courtesy of the duke of monmouth or with the loveliness of la belle hamilton of the duchess of richmond of lady the person of roxalana the smart humour of mrs nelly 
or what say you to the bewitching sorceries of lady cynthia demanded his companion faith i would have kept these to myself said the earl to follow your prudent example but since you ask me i fairly own i cannot tell what to say of them only i think of them twenty times as often as all the beauties i have spoken of and yet she is neither the twentieth part so beautiful as the plainest of these court beauties nor as witty as the dullest i have named nor so modish that is the great matter as the most obscure i cannot tell what makes me dote on her except that she is as capricious as her whole sex put together that i should think a small recommendation answered his companion small do you term it replied the earl and write yourself a brother of the angle why which like you best to pull a dead strain on a miserable gudgeon which you draw ashore by main force as the fellows here tow in their fishing-boats or a lively salmon that makes your rod crack and your line whistle plays you ten thousand mischievous pranks wearies your heart out with hopes and fears and is only laid panting on the bank after you have shown the most unmatchable display of skill patience and dexterity but i see you have a mind to go on angling after your own old fashion off laced coat and on brown jerkin lively colours scarce fish in the sober waters of the isle of man faith in london you will catch few unless the bait glistens a little but you are going well good luck to you i will take to the barge the sea and wind are less inconstant than the tide you have embarked on you have learned to say all these smart things in london my lord answered julian but we shall have you a penitent for them if lady cynthia be of my mind adieu and pleasure till we meet the young man parted accordingly while the earl betook him to his pleasure voyage julian as his friend had prophesied assumed the dress of one who means to amuse himself with angling the hat and feather were exchanged for a cap of grey cloth the deeply laced cloak and doublet for a simple jacket of the same colour with hose conforming and finally with rod in hand and pannier at his back mounted upon a handsome manx pony young peveril rode briskly over the country which divided him from one of those beautiful streams that descend to the sea from the kirk murlaugh mountains having reached the spot where he meant to commence his day's sport julian let his little steed graze which accustomed to the situation followed him like a dog and now and then when tired of picking herbage in the valley through which the stream winded came near her master's side and as if she had been a curious amateur of the sport gazed on the trouts as julian brought them struggling to the shore but fairy's master showed on that day 
little of the patience of a real angler and took no heed to old isaac walton's recommendation to fish the streams inch by inch he chose indeed with an angler's eye the most promising casts which the stream broke sparkling over a stone afforded the wonted shelter to a trout or where gliding away from a rippling current to a still eddy it streamed under the projecting bank or dashed from the pool of some low cascade by this judicious selection of spots whereon to employ his art the sportsman's basket was soon sufficiently heavy to show that his occupation was not a mere pretext and so soon as this was the case he walked briskly up the glen only making a cast from time to time in case of his being observed from any of the neighbouring heights it was a little green and rocky valley through which the brook strayed very lonely although the slight track of an unformed road showed that it was occasionally traversed and that it was not altogether void of inhabitants as peveril advanced still farther the right bank reached to some distance from the stream leaving a piece of meadow ground the lower part of which being close to the brook was entirely covered with rich herbage being possibly occasionally irrigated by its overflow the higher part of the level ground afforded a stance for an old house of singular structure with a terraced garden and a cultivated field or two beside it in former times a danish or norwegian fastness had stood here called the black fort from the colour of a huge healthy hill which rising behind the building appeared to be the boundary of the valley and to afford the source of the brook but the original structure had been long demolished as indeed it probably only consisted of dry stones and its materials had been applied to the construction of the present mansion the work of some churchmen during the sixteenth century as was evident from the huge stonework of its windows which scarce left room for light to pass through as well as from two or three heavy buttresses which projected from the front of the house and exhibited on their surface little niches for images these had been carefully destroyed and pots of flowers were placed in the niches in their stead besides their being ornamented by creeping plants of various kinds fancifully twined around them the garden was also in good order and though the spot was extremely solitary there was about it altogether an air of comfort accommodation and even elegance by no means generally characteristic of the habitations of the island at the time with much circumspection julian peveril approached the low gothic porch which defended the entrance of the mansion from the tempests incident to its situation and was like the buttresses overrun with ivy and other creeping plants an iron ring contrived so as when drawn up and down to rattle against the bar of notched iron through which it was suspended served the purpose of a knocker and to this he applied himself though with the greatest precaution 
he received no answer for some time and indeed it seemed as if the house was totally uninhabited when at length his impatience getting the upper hand he tried to open the door and as it was only upon the latch very easily succeeded he passed through a little low-arched hall the upper end of which was occupied by a staircase and turning to the left opened the door of a summer parlour wainscoted with black oak and very simply furnished with chairs and tables of the same materials the former cushioned with the leather the apartment was gloomy one of those stone-shafted windows which we have mentioned with its small latticed panes and thick garland of foliage admitted but an imperfect light over the chimney-piece which was of the same massive materials with the panelling of the apartment was the only ornament of the room a painting namely representing an officer in the military dress of the civil wars it was a green jerkin then the national and peculiar wear of the manxmen his short band which hung down on the cuirass the orange-coloured scarf but above all the shortness of his close-cut hair showed evidently to which of the great parties he had belonged his right hand rested on the hilt of his sword and in the left he held a small bible bearing the inscription in hoc signo the countenance was of a light complexion with fair and almost effeminate blue eyes and an oval form of face one of those physiognomies to which although not otherwise unpleasing we naturally attach the idea of melancholy and of misfortune apparently it was well known to julian peveril for after having looked at it for a long time he could not forbear muttering aloud what would i give that that man had never been born or that he still lived how now how is this said a female who entered the room as he uttered this reflection you here master peveril in spite of all the warnings you have had you here in the possession of folk's house when they are abroad and talking to yourself as i shall warrant yes mistress deborah said peveril i am here once more as you see against every prohibition and in defiance of all danger where is alice where you will never see her master julian you may satisfy yourself of that answered mistress deborah for it was that respectable governant and sinking down at the same time upon one of the large leathern chairs she began to fan herself with her handkerchief and complain of the heat in a most ladylike fashion in fact mistress debich while her exterior intimated a considerable change of condition for the better and her countenance showed the less favourable effects of the twenty years which had passed over her head was in mind and manners very much what she had been when she battled the opinions of madame ellesmere at martindale castle in a word she was self-willed obstinate 
and coquettish as ever otherwise no ill-disposed person her present appearance was that of a woman of the better rank from the sobriety of the fashion of her dress and the uniformity of its colours it was plain she belonged to some sect which condemned superfluous gaiety in attire but no rules not those of a nunnery or of a quaker's society can prevent a little coquetry in that particular where a woman is desirous of being supposed to retain some claim to personal attention all mistress deborah's garments were so arranged as might best set off a good-looking woman whose countenance indicated ease and good cheer who called herself five-and-thirty and was well entitled if she had a mind to call herself twelve or fifteen years older julian was under the necessity of enduring all her tiresome and fantastic airs and awaiting with patience till she had prinked herself and pinned herself flung her hoods back and drawn them forward snuffed at a little bottle of essences closed her eyes like a dying fowl turned them up like duck in a thunderstorm when at length having exhausted her round of minaudery she condescended to open the conversation these walks will be the death of me she said and all on your account master julian peveril for if dame christian should learn that you have chosen to make your visits to her niece i promise you mistress alice would be soon obliged to find other quarters and so should i come now mistress deborah be good-humoured said julian consider was not all this intimacy of ours of your own making did you not make yourself known to me the very first time i strolled up this glen with my fishing-rod and tell me that you were my former keeper and that alice had been my little playfellow and what could there be more natural than that i should come back and see two such agreeable persons as often as i could yes said dame deborah but i did not bid you fall in love with us though or propose such a matter as marriage either to alice or myself to do you justice you never did deborah answered the youth but what of that such things will come out before one is aware i am sure you must have heard such proposals fifty times when you least expected them fie 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 master julian peveril said the governant i would have you to know that i have always so behaved myself that the best of the land would have thought twice of it and have very well considered both what he was going to say and how he was going to say it before he came out with such proposals to me true true mistress deborah continued julian but all the world hath not your discretion then alice bridgenorth is a child a mere child and one always asks a baby to be one's little wife you know come i know you will forgive me thou wert ever the best-natured kindest woman in the world and you know you have said twenty times we were made for each other oh no master julian peveril 
no 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 ejaculated deborah i may indeed have said your estates were born to be united and to be sure it is natural for me that come of the old stock of the yeomanry of peveril of the peaks estate to wish that it was all within the ring fence again which sure enough it might be were you to marry alice bridgenorth but then there is the knight your father and my lady your mother and there is her father that is half crazy with his religion and her aunt that wears eternal black gogram for that unlucky colonel christian and there is the countess of derby that would serve us all with the same sauce if we were thinking of anything that would displease her and besides all that you have broke your word with mistress alice and everything is over between you and i am of opinion it is quite right it should be all over and perhaps it may be master julian that i should have thought so a long time ago before a child like alice put it into my head but i am so good-natured no flatterer like a lover who wishes to carry his point you are the best-natured kindest creature in the world deborah but you have never seen the ring i bought for you at paris nay i will put it on your finger myself what your foster son whom you loved so well and took such care of he easily succeeded in putting a pretty ring of gold with a humorous affectation of gallantry on the fat finger of mistress deborah debich hers was a soul of a kind often to be met with both among the lower and higher vulgar who without being on a broad scale accessible to bribes or corruption are nevertheless much attached to perquisites and considerably biased in their line of duty though perhaps insensibly by the love of petty observances petty presents and trivial compliments mistress debich turned the ring round and round and round and at length said in a whisper well master julian peveril it signifies nothing denying anything to such a young gentleman as you for young gentlemen are always so obstinate and so i may as well tell you that mistress alice walked back from the kirk tra along with me just now and entered the house at the same time with myself why did you not tell me so before said julian starting up where where is she you had better ask why i tell you so now master julian said dame deborah for i promise you it is against her express commands and i would not have told you had you not looked so pitiful but as for seeing you that she will not and she is in her own bedroom with a good oak door shut and bolted upon her that is one comfort and so as for any breach of trust on my part i promise you the little saucy minx gives it no less name it is quite impossible do not say so deborah only go only try tell her to hear me tell her i have a hundred excuses for disobeying her commands 
tell her i have no doubt to get over all obstacles at martindale castle nay i tell you it is all in vain replied the dame when i saw your cap and rod lying in the hall i did but say there he is again and she ran up the stairs like a young deer and i heard key turned and bolt shot ere i could say a single word to stop her i marvel you heard her not it was because i am as i ever was an owl a dreaming fool who let all those golden minutes pass which my luckless life holds out to me so rarely well tell her i go go for ever go where she will hear no more of me where no one shall hear more of me oh the father said the dame hear how he talks what will become of sir geoffrey and your mother and of me and of the countess if you were to go so far as you talk of and what would become of poor alice too for i will be sworn she likes you better than she says and i know she used to sit and look the way that you used to come up the stream and now and then ask me if the morning were good for fishing and all the while you were on the continent as they call it she scarcely smiled once unless it was when she got two beautiful long letters about foreign parts friendship dame deborah only friendship cold and calm remembrance of one who by your kind permission stole in on your solitude now and then with news from the living world without once indeed i thought but it is all over farewell so saying he covered his face with one hand and extended the other in the act of bidding adieu to dame debich whose kind heart became unable to withstand the sight of his affliction now do not be in such haste she said i will go up again and tell her how it stands with you and bring her down if it is in woman's power to do it and so saying she left the apartment and ran upstairs julian peveril meanwhile paced the apartment in great agitation waiting the success of deborah's intercession and she remained long enough absent to give us time to explain in a short retrospect the circumstances which had led to his present situation End of chapter eleven